Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of Schmerz Day, April 26th, 2021. On the show today, news, listener questions. And in our main segment, Jim tells us how Disney developed the idea of food courts for its parks and resorts from Sunshine Seasons at Epcot to Landscape of Flavors at Art of Animation. Let's get started by bringing in the man who likes his women like he likes his coffee, strong and valued in the workplace. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? Am I the only person on the planet who doesn't know how to use a Mr. Coffee? Do you have one of these at home? Do you, I, I don't. We have one of those. Um, uh, Laurel, when uh, when she she came uh, mm-hmm. to me, brought one of those high-end Jura Expressa, Espresso makers where you push a button and magical elixir comes out. I might have to step up to that because I, I, for years now, I have been wrestling with the Mr. Coffee. And I, again, I do everything I'm supposed to. I put like eight spoonfuls in the filter and then I put the filter and I put in the water and I even put the little round filter in the holder that you're supposed to put on top to filter the water it goes in. Invariably, the bottom of the coffee pot is an art project. It's that slurry of grounds. Yeah. I want for once to make a pot of coffee where I don't look at the bottom of it and, you know, it's like, well, that's what the bottom of the Mississippi looks like. You know, it's just sort of like. So you wake up every morning and say, damn you, Joe Garagiola. Yes. Yes. So if anybody has any suggestions, because I know I'm an idiot, but I just don't need to be reminded about the first thing every morning when I'm making coffee. Like, how do, you, how do they expect you to make the coffee when you haven't had the coffee? Yes, yes. It, 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 never mind chicken and the egg. All right, that's it. <laughs> that's the big question, Len. All right, Jim, let's do a quick shout out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.BandCamp.com. Thanks to new subscribers, TN Mickey, Sarah T. Sachs, Brad Chad Porter, Aaron Johnson 95, and Todd W711, and longtime subscribers, Kristen Marie, Jay Rigney, Mui Guapo Grant, and SC Clay 82 And a special shout-out to our friend EJ Aiken. Hey, EJ. Jim, these folks are the foster parents for all of the iguanodons that people bring back in their time rivers every day on the dinosaur ride over at Animal Kingdom while Disney tries to find them forever homes. They say that iguanodons are just like big cats. They sleep a lot. They don't like fireworks. And everybody wants to know their names when they walk into the background of Zoom calls. True story. <laughs> If they're just like cat, who's shoveling out the litter boxes? <laughs> I think they draw straws for that one. You know, I th- it's, it's the next question I'm going to ask. Obviously, okay. Oh, oh, and before we move on here, I want to wish a birthday greeting to Paula Brown. Also, a speedy recovery. Paula is turning 67 years young on April 25th, and since Paula's mom's birthday is on the 27th, I guess this is sort of a twofer for the the Brown clan, so many happy returns of the day. Happy birthday. Also, you can't return if you don't go away, so safe travels to friend of the show, Josh Gad, and his lovely daughter, Ava. Can't say where they're going, because that would be telling, but Mr. Gad will be out of the States for a few months, and many entertaining things will follow. He can leave the country? It's a big box with air holes, all right? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, the State Department allows that to happen, so it's not Canada, I'm guessing. Although you never know. Well, you you know, know. He, he is a national treasure. I'm sure the State Department is involved. All right, fair enough. I just want to make sure. Mm-hmm. All right, Jim, let's do the news. Folks, the Disney Dish News is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Disney Dish podcast for a worry-free travel experience every time. 
book online at storybookdestinations.com. Jim, a couple of interesting sort of inside baseball things happened this week, but I want to get your take on them. One is Disney offering its Walt Disney World cast members a free one-night resort stay before the 50th anniversary celebrations begin in October. So Disney hasn't said which hotels are going to be offered. Right now, they've got something like 19,000 rooms potentially open on any given day. Obviously, there are you know there are guests that are booked into those. Mm-hmm. And it may be less than 19,000 because I think they're holding, some resorts are holding back some room capacity. So this offer is good for almost five months, around 150 days. Active and furloughed CMs are eligible, which is kind of interesting. So I even agree. if there are 75,000 cast members that are eligible and all of them took advantage of the offer, there's still tons of capacity to go around. But the thing I was thinking was, do you think Disney might try to put some of these cast members at resorts like All-Star Music or Port Orleans as sort of a trial run to reopening them? Ding, 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 ding. We have an answer. Yes. This is Disney after all. So kindness and generosity usually comes with an agenda. <laughs> how, do we, how do we make sure that all of these thousands of rooms at these resorts that have been shuttered for a year are fully functional? I know. Let's experiment on the cast members. You sure. <laughs> you get in there and take that shower. I'm sure there's nothing fine, wrong with that. Fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Open up the closet. See what's there. I'm sure there's nothing in there. Yeah, you know. Spiders, you say? Spiders. Who would have known? It is an intriguing choice. And in fact, I'm sure you got the same assortment of emails that I got in regards to there were those folks who saw this as a gracious gesture. There were those, those folks who looked upon this somewhat cynically. It'll just be interesting to see as they do this, what we hear about these folks back on property and yeah. what they encounter. My original thought was that it was a way to take rooms out of inventory mm-hmm. and thereby keep prices high. And then I thought, well, I mean, there's a ton of rooms available. I mean, if you think about it, they're giving away 75,000 room nights. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But they've got, again, 19,000 rooms and they've got around 150,000 days. Mm-hmm. Or sorry, 150 days. So that's 2.8 million, 2.85 million resort nights. 75,000 is a tiny fraction of that. So that's, that's not really the thing. So I, so I, you know, I, I don't think it was a, a play to increase resort occupancy. I think it's really like, how do we test reopening these resorts? Isn't it amazing that neither that neither you or I think that the the actual intent of Disney's offer here is strictly goodwill? <laughs> Do you remember the timing of this when this came down? That it had been a day or two since the story had been in the entertainment press about how Bob J. Peck had just bought a wonderful $12 million home. And suddenly it's, oh, and we're giving free rooms to all of the Disney cast members. You know, it's, did you ever see the Simpsons episode where, where Homer is really genuinely troubled by something that's just happened? It's like, and then suddenly, ooh, a dog with a big fluffy tail. <laughs> I think this is the dog with the big fluffy tail. All right, please ignore the $12 million mansion. Did you see the rooms over there that we're giving away? Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the uh, the fact that it's for uh, for furloughed CMs means they're trying to recruit as many people as possible. True. True. And that, that makes me think it's a scale type of test. Speaking of which, are we talking about the new Disney look thing that came down part of today's show? We haven't talked about it, but go ahead. We can segue. You were talking about bringing back the furloughed folks. And face it, there's a whole bunch of people who could previously never be considered for employment at Disney because they had visible tattoos or they had nose rings or that sort of thing. And 
there are so many people in the hospitality industry who are thrilled, absolutely thrilled that Disney has done this. Because if yeah. Disney can embrace these folks who previously haven't been able to be front of house, yeah. you know, it means that the Hiltons, the Sheratons, the, the Four Seasons of the world, yeah. and it, it, for a, from a guest service point of view, because you can draw from such a bigger pool of candidates. Okay. So that's what I was thinking. So I did yeah. an interview with WFLV TV mm-hmm. in Florida and it got picked up and, you know, mm-hmm. showed in a couple of other cities, but I said, mm-hmm. you know, they asked me why Disney was doing it. And I said, you know, mm-hmm. probably two reasons. One, it makes the guests feel more welcome if the cast mm-hmm. members look like them. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, when you're talking about, you know, 25 to 35 year olds or 25 to 45 year olds, mm-hmm. I think a plurality, if not an outright majority of them have some sort of tattoo or earring mm-hmm. or some other, you know, nail mm-hmm. polish or something like that. Right. They, um, so it's, uh, you know, it's, it's just a welcoming thing, right. And the, the cast members should look like the guests. Oh yeah. Yeah. But the second thing, the second thing was though, yep. it's a way of providing a benefit to employees. That's free. True. And when you're trying to recruit people, and this is going to lead into our next story. When you're trying to recruit people in a tight labor market, you can't afford to exclude mm-hmm. that demographic from that age group, right? Because I mean, Disney's traditionally pulls younger in the the service the service industry in general pulls younger people than 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 other industries. But mm-hmm. so you know, if you're trying to if you're trying to hire, and I'm, I'm making up a number here, eighteen to thirty five year olds, and you're automatically excluding those with mm-hmm. more than one earring or visible tattoos, you've automatically shrunk your yep. labor pool by X percent, right? And oh, and you're not doing yourself any favors there. Two things before we close on this topic. I just want to give credit for the fact that it wasn't Disney necessarily that kicked open the story. It was actually Starbucks. They did this like 18 months ago. And same thing, sort of open the candidate of folks who could work at Starbucks to include. I'm not sure that if I walked into a Starbucks and my barista wasn't tattooed, with multiple, <laughs> like I would be like, are, do you know anything about coffee? Like, have, are you? Are you sure you're part uh, of this culture? I don't want to gatekeep here, but I have some expectations. <laughs> there we go. Okay. And, and the other thing, just to, to close this out, did you see the pictures of the Disney look with now opening the door to tattoos and earrings and that sort of thing? They had one gentleman who was in the standard Jungle Cruise outfit, but he had a visible tattoo in his arm. And of course, somebody oh, who- the Jungle, got, Cruise, <laughs> the Jungle Cruise poster. <laughs> yeah. I saw this movie. It was with Leonardo DiCaprio. It was called Inception. It was fabulous. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Didn't understand a damn thing of it. <laughs> but the other one, and it was absolutely perfect, was was a gentleman in the full butler outfit for the Haunted Mansion. But he had a nose ring and earrings, and, and he had black polish on his fingernails. And it's like, yeah. of course this guy works at the Haunted Mansion. Yeah. Absolutely. I so, saw that, and I'm like, that's 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 a plus as far as I'm concerned. No, totally, totally, It's funny because totally. the, uh, the day after the announcement, Announcement came off, came mm-hmm. out. I was in the Magic Kingdom and I saw my all-time favorite VIP tour guide, whose name I won't mention. Mm-hmm. So we were talking before she, mm-hmm. you know, met with some clients and stuff or some guests, yeah. and I was like, "What do you think of the new, the new policy? Like, are you, you know, you're gonna change your look?" She's like, "I've already changed my look." And then she pointed to her ear, and she had two earrings in one ear. I'm like, "Oh, you rebel, you." <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Bring on yeah. the revolution. Yeah, there you me. go. Yes, that was good. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad to see it, and it. Uh, I think it. Uh, like I said, I think it's more welcoming to the guests. I think it helps mm-hmm. Disney. So it's one of those things. That doesn't cost anybody any money. No, absolutely. So, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Very good. All right. So speaking of, uh, of of jobs, Jim, we get a lot of email mm-hmm. at the uh, the Disney Dish. We get questions. We get requests. We get the occasional unlit Molotov cocktail sent through UPS, which is interesting. <laughs> That would but be for this me. Week, yes, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this week was the first time we've ever got a job offer. 
Mm-hmm. And this one came from the Patina Group, who operates several restaurants at Disney Springs. So Morimoto Asia, mm-hmm. the Edison, uh, Marie and Enzo's, Enzo's Hideaway, and Pizza Ponte. And the job offer was this. It says, up to $500 sign-on bonus. Join our team at Disney Springs for your chance to enter the exciting and fast-paced world of hospitality as a food and beverage professional. We're hiring at multiple fan-favorite locations for a variety of positions and skill levels, and we're ready to welcome you and invest in your growth. Back-of-house cooks will receive a $500 sign-on bonus. Front-of-house employees, excluding service staff, will receive a $300 sign-on bonus. Check out the opportunities below to start your career with the Patina Group, and please pass this exciting opportunity on with you, to your friends and family to help launch their culinary career. So this goes back to what we were talking about you know, the with the Disney look, about Disney having some difficulty mm-hmm. hiring back cast members. What do you think here? It's just so fascinating that they literally have to dangle these sorts of carrots. Oh, yeah. And some of it has to deal with the fact that we're 14 months now into the pandemic. And a lot of folks who waited and waited and waited either have left the area or moved on to other careers. And I'm most intrigued by, for example, that $500 sign-on bonus for back-of-house cooks. Kitchen space, kind of tight, and in the the wonderful world of COVID, mm-hmm. the risk of infection in, under tight conditions, working close with people, there are still people who are kind of rattled about that, who aren't necessarily right. speeding back to work. So the fact that you have to put $500 out there even for them to consider going back into the kitchen, uh, that's really telling, Len. It's funny. When I, when I got this email, I, I talked to a number of people uh, who don't work at Disney, who are in the mm-hmm. hospitality industry in general, and, and in general, the hospitality industry, mm. whether it's hotels or restaurants or airlines or whatever, they're all experiencing mm. the same problem, right? Uh, and not even not even that, but like call centers mm. for the hospitality, like the people who answer the phones that do things like book airline tickets or book hotels or, mm. um, you know, book restaurants. Mm. Everywhere in the hospitality industry, they're having difficulty bringing back staff that were laid off or hiring, Right. And they're all trying to figure out how to do that, right? So in some cases, you know, hotels were running at like 25% of staff. And what they're seeing is they're seeing demand for those hotels grow faster than they can staff the hotels. And that's obviously going to be a problem, right? Because if you've got 25% of your housekeeping staff, it means you can service 25% of the rooms. But if your hotel occupancy is 70%, now you've got problems, right? And you could do things like offer people a small discount like Disney used to do to yes. not get housekeeping every day. Mm-hmm. Right. But, but eventually, right. That you run out of incentives. Mm-hmm. So the, um, you know, I was talking to these people, I'm like, well, where did they, you know, where did they go? Like some people mm-hmm. are still, you know, unemployed, but where did they go? And it turns out a lot of them went into healthcare for, for a couple of reasons. One, because, you know, during COVID, obviously you need, you need more healthcare people, but number two, the healthcare people were working so many hours that they were mm-hmm. getting burned out. And the other thing too is, um, at least in the Orlando area, mm-hmm. healthcare seems to pay about 20% more mm-hmm. than hospitality. And healthcare is always going to be a thing, right? It's mm-hmm. not like people are not going to get sick all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit more job stability. It pays better. So I, I, I think that's one of the big, the big draws there for people who have left the hospitality industry. But to your point, some of them have, have you know, simply moved away from Orlando, mm-hmm. you know, gone, gone somewhere else. But the other thing I thought was funny was this. When Disney talks about like executive compensation, mm-hmm. it says things like, you know, well, we have to pay Bob Chapek, you know, enough money so that he can afford a $12.5 million house because it's mm-hmm. a market economy and the number of people with those skills is relatively low. And mm-hmm. we have to pay that 
to draw that level of talent. Okay. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When it comes to hiring custodial and housekeeping and stuff like that, it's no longer a market problem to Disney. It's like, would you like a free hotel room? Right. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, money is not the way that it, it, is not the way that they solve that problem. Right. Mm-hmm. You solve the executive problem with money, but God mm-hmm. forbid you solve the hourly cast member problem with money. So I was talking actually talking to an executive mm-hmm. at a hotel chain. Mm-hmm. Right. And they, they were, they were saying, you know, well, we're, you know, we're going through the exact same problem here. It's we're having trouble hiring people. I'm like, have you tried offering them more money? Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh God, that's the last thing we want to do. <laughs> like, like that increases our costs. I'm like, well, <laughs> Maybe that's the solution. <laughs> Call me crazy here. <laughs> it's funny to me that companies are so reluctant to raise wages mm-hmm. when, when, that seems to be the obvious thing. I've been spending a lot of time over the past year digging down into the old eyes and ears for the Walt Disney World Resort from the 70s and the 80s, back when people really fought to get jobs at Disney because it was a oh, yeah. full-time job with great benefits. And and it was in the Eisner era where it was like, well, wait a minute, we're paying these people an awful lot of money. And so how about we take a full-time job and split it into two part-time jobs? Or how about we bring a lot of kids in via the college program? And Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing. Now you have a Disney okay. company that frankly is a is addicted to, to low cost labor. <laughs> yes, yes. And and just the notion that suddenly they're facing the situation where you put a $500 bonus, just dangling what they can to get people to come back. And it's just well, the, thing about it, the thing about a bonus is, is that mm. it's a one-time thing. It's, it's not yeah. like raising your wages. No. Right. No. So it's the thing that I keep saying is that companies are willing to do these one-off things mm-hmm. as long as they don't increase their base pay. But I'm like, maybe, you know, Maybe that is the solution, right? If if nothing else is working, mm-hmm. right? Maybe maybe the solution is increasing your wages. Yeah, so we'll see. You're not wrong. Anyway, we'll see what happens. But uh, but yeah, if you guys, uh, if any of our listeners see any uh, similar ads for uh, for the theme park industry in Orlando, send them send them my way. I'd love to uh, see what the the offers are. Mm-hmm. All right, Jim. Let's do some uh, some listener questions. Here's one from Jason who writes mm-hmm. in and says, "With the People Mover, one of my personal favorites, especially at night." Being down for refurbishment for over a year now, is there any update as to when it might reopen? I was wondering if its proximity to the Tron Coaster construction area was a factor in its long delay. Thanks for the podcast and for all your helpful information and insights. So, Jim, it's been down for a year. Yes. Mm-hmm. And the originally was supposed to reopen at the beginning of April. Now it's the beginning of May. My my current forecast as to when it will reopen is the Jewish phrase. God willing, we should live so long to see it <laughs> reopen, right? I hope your I hope your children are alive, Jim, to see to see this thing reopen. You know, here's the thing, though it's mm-hmm. it's not that they can't fix it. I think mm-hmm. it's a, it's entirely a budget thing. It's interesting that Jason does, in fact, bring up the Tron coaster because obviously that's a high priority. You know, especially with the fiftieth coming. But at the same time, if you look at the operational issues that. Tomorrowland is dealing with, you know, for example, that they've closed the Monster Inc. laugh floor so they can have that extended queue for Buzz Lightyear. There's a land capacity issue. And speaking of which, what are you hearing about them upping the capacity at the parks? Did you get any confirmation on that? So I've heard through reliable sources that all of the park capacity, all the reservations Mm -hmm. through June are still based on 35% park capacity. Okay. I, I think the definition of 35% park capacity is fluid. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong. But you see things like, you know, Disney recently added another row of occupied seats to attractions like Pirates of the Caribbean 
and small world that bumps up the park capacity a little bit mm-hmm. as they increase the number of dining locations that also increases park mm-hmm. capacity a little bit. So I think that they're, they're doing that. I would not be surprised to see them above 35% in June, especially based on where we're at uh, relative to vaccination rates. No, I get that. I do. But as of, as of now, I mean, they, they say they're at 35%. Mm-hmm. So I, and I believe them. So mm-hmm. We've all seen the video of the People Mover running, empty, yeah, but running. I was there. I, mean, I was there last week. It was running and the announcements were going. And it was, I was like, I could climb up one of these uh, <laughs> these supports and kind of hop on, which I you know, should not do again. That's a bad idea. But, <laughs> but Yeah, but it was yeah, running. Same, I mean, it, was, it was. It was. But at the same time, I'm, I'm sure some of us also saw the, the, the video of the poor gentleman in the maintenance of pushing a set of, of People Mover cars. <laughs> But I decided, you know, I'm done. I'm done for the day. You know, take me back to the barn. I've done what I can. Yeah. You know, part of it is also it's tech from the 70s and yeah. needs a lot of TLC. Yeah. I think it's just a prioritization thing. I mean, they can fix it. it you know, the thing's been running for 40 years. They know mm-hmm. what the parts, the spare parts look like. They know where they to do. get them. They know how to make them. It's I just, agree. it's just not a, it's not a, a priority right now. Mm-hmm. All right, Jim, this one, uh, here's, here's, here's a, uh, a comment that we got from about 8,000 listeners mm-hmm. from our show last week. I just finished listening to your latest episode. I was intrigued about your question about the reason the cars in cars are growing fields of grain. It seems like the simple answer must be ethanol production. Okay, fair enough. I, I would have accepted that as an answer, except our own Drew Taylor actually got to ask mm-hmm. the cast of Cars 3, why are there are no people in the Cars universe. And one response was, the people were converted into gasoline like the dinosaurs. To no! Which re- to, <laughs> to which I replied, Drew, I would pay to watch that movie. I would, in fact, go see it in theaters now. So if there's How? anyone from Disney who's listening and wants to do a movie like that, Holy I'm just saying I'm on board. How? <laughs> that is, that's Planet of the Apes, only different. Oh. people. Oh, I wow. To, I wrote back to Drew and I just, I just said, ethanol is people. There you go. Oy. No, I said biodiesel is people. That's what it was. It was a funnier line. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Last uh, listener question. This is from Carly, who is uh, asking a question about our show about the history of Ohana. And she says, do you think the dinner show will reopen as a Moana inspired show instead of the cheesy Disney Channel vibe of the previous show? Also, do you have any guess as to when the Epcot monorail will resume? Is it a park hopper control issue in some way related to capacity caps or mainly a cost savings? So, uh, and Carly's actually in Walt Disney World right now. I hope she's having a fabulous mm-hmm. time. Let me know if there are any questions on that. Um, so, Jim, you think the dinner show will reopen as Moana? You may recall when they were talking about the expansion of Hong Kong Disneyland, they actually mm-hmm. showed a Moana theater show. They showed concept art for something you were going to do there. And I know the company is very heavily invested in Moana. I mean, we were just talking about the Moana-themed redos of Rooms at the Poly, the yep. new carpet, the, poly, the Moana-themed carpet that was just added to Ohana. One of the things that's kind of bit them in the butt in regard, you know, it's relatively easy to do a Moana face character, but, you know, you then have to pair her with Maui. And Maui kind of has the same problem that the walk-around version of Wreck-It Ralph does. Wreck-It Ralph, yeah, exactly, yeah. You have to do those giant arms that look like, you know, like, well, could you find anything better than body pillows? (laughs) You know, (laughs) 
they never quite look as lifelike as they're supposed to. And and when people want to shake hands or be hugged, it's just sort of like, okay, here comes the, the hard plastic. We're a while off from a full-on uh, Moana, you know, thing, especially for the dinner show with the Polly. Right. They're talking about it. They just, they have to kind of break the back of what they do with that walk around character to make it that much more lifelike. And, 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 and what's interesting, and in fact, you've probably seen the pictures just recently, Disney does in fact circle back on old walk-around characters of the park to improve them. I mean, did you oh, see... Oh, with a... Are you saying Fairy Godmother? Is that where you're going? Fairy Godmother, likewise. Just recently, they redid both Woody and Jesse for Toy Story. Oh, I didn't I didn't notice that one. The, the Fairy Godmother one was like she had uh, spent some time at uh, <laughs> in Beverly Hills doing... Uh, <laughs> yeah, hey, my God, I, Botox <laughs> works for, for, uh, for fur characters. How about that? Ha! Huh. Who knew? <laughs> Yes, yes, okay. By the way, have you seen the video of Gaston doing a push-up challenge? It's a, I believe it's a TikTok, but it's, you know, you know like the, the walk-around Gaston character, you look mm-hmm. at him and you're like, well, he's clearly got styrofoam muscles or something. So mm-hmm. a guest challenges Gaston in Fantasyland to mm-hmm. a push-up contest, and Gaston gets down mm-hmm. and starts pumping out push-ups like, like he's an army drill instructor, and then he starts doing, honest to God, one-arm push-ups, like like these are my real muscles these are not stark and i was like whoever whoever cast this person (laughs) as like they know cat they should do all every marvel universe film from now on because they know they know exactly what to look for it was amazing and the uh, obviously the the guest thought it was the guest thought was hysterical Mm -hmm. and uh guest on wasn't even winded and i was looking at that going you know, I'm trying. I'm looking at that, going like, where would they even put the casts on my body mm-hmm. after I'm injured trying to do a one arm push up? Like, would they go legs first or torso, or how would that even? I don't even know how it would work. Anyway, I, I'm just putting Disney on notice that that they're looking for a walk around LeFou. I am willing to sub- <laughs> you, submit you can myself. Be hired. I could be hired. What is bonus. the point? You know, in, in the training regime where you basically go into Gaston's tavern and eat your body weight and and the, those. Because you had cinnamon rolls. It's like, I'm up for this. I'm available. Call, call. By the way, did you know for the cinnamon rolls, you can ask for extra icing and they will give it to you? Oh, yeah. That's what they're going to put on my tombstone. I don't know if that's valuable consumer advice or dangerous stuff that we should prohibit from, you know, Aaron should censor out. But yeah, you can ask for extra icing. As a diabetic, I'd Aaron, Aaron, edit that part out. Okay, (laughs) please, please. Okay. (laughs) All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, Jim tells us how Disney has developed its ideas for food courts over the years. We'll be right back. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
All right, Jim, we're continuing mm-hmm. our April is Food Month mm-hmm. theme here at the Disney Dish Podcast, talking about food courts. And I think the the original food court that Disney had, excluding um, you know Captain Cook's at the Poly, may have been Sunshine Seasons Food Fair over at Epcot. Was that was that where it all began? Yes, but remember, Len, you're not going back fat enough because the, the original name of that was the Farmer's Market. That's right. I forgot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. In fact, you come around the enter the land pavilion or look down, and there would be this sort of rustic looking setting and, and a tiny little farm, just part of the or, or, or barn, part of the marquee. And every so often, a mechanical rooster would come out and crow. But there were eight separate counters, and each of them offering different types of food. The reason we're bringing this up at all is that the day that this show goes live, Monday, April 26th, Mm -hmm. that's the ninth anniversary of the media preview for Disney's Art of Animation Resort. And as you mentioned, the the landscape of flavors, food court, five different quick service counters, four different Disney-themed dining rooms. In fact, each of them tied to the theming of the hotel. One was a Little Mermaid area, another was a Lion King, then Cars, and then Finding Nemo. And... But it's it's a sleek setup, 606 seats and right up to date. And in fact, I was just over at the official Land of Flavors uh, webpage uh, at, for the Walt Disney World Resort, and they were playing up the fact that you can you can now do mobile ordering with the uh, My Disney Express app. Yeah, one of the things I liked about like I've liked I've liked Landscape of Flavors from the day it opened. One of the things mm-hmm. that I like specifically about it was it was a little bit more adventurous mm-hmm. in its food offerings yep. than say Pop Century, which was you know directly across the bridge away from them. And the and the advantage of that, of course, is that if you're staying at one or the other and mm-hmm. you you need some variety, you would just walk across Generation Bridge to uh, to get there. But like you know when they, when it first opened, they were doing things like Portuguese sausage and yes. uh, and, and eggs for breakfast, right? Which mm-hmm. for the time for mm-hmm. Disney was was something that was that was different. So, uh, and that's and that food court has already always been a strength, not only at Art of Animation but among mm. all value resorts. Like it's the mm. thing, it's the thing that differentiates um, Art of Animation. Yeah, Art of Animation is the abandoned legendary years side yep. of Pop Century, and in fact, <laughs> the, the World War and Plague years of uh, yes, yes. <laughs> but for me. What was intriguing was when you could walk across the Generation Gap Bridge and you could go over to Classic Hall. That's the lobby, gift shop, arcade, and food court for the original version I of Pop I hated Sanctuary. that concept when it came out. God. Isn't that intriguing, though, that you can walk there and see what they thought of, okay, this is what we want to deliver for a food court for guests staying at a value resort. And now you walk away over a Generation Bridge and there you are for what happened in 2012 yeah. and how things had changed. When I, I remember going through Pop for the first time and having to walk through the gift shop you know, as the main way to get in and out of the food court, and I thought, this is just so cynical mm-hmm. that it's going to bother me. I mean, I know you can walk in from the pool and stuff like mm-hmm. that, but if you're walking in from the lobby, mm-hmm. you know, to me, it was just like, just so manipulative that I was like, I think in, in the book, I actually wrote the line mm-hmm. that, you know, Disney executives probably use the word synergy when describing it like it was cheap cologne. 
<laughs> and it's so interesting that you mentioned that because they do the same thing over at Art of Animation. But I know. But why? Yeah. Why do I not? Why does it not bother me? Am I used to it or is it just executed yeah. better? No, I think I, I think it's genuinely executed better. I but, think it is too. But speaking of better execution, let's talk about the farmer's market. Okay. So going back to Epcot. When Epcot opens in October of 1982, a year out, you've got Disney's designers, especially the folks who were working on the food service aspect of the park. Yep. You know, they're like, okay, now wait a minute, opening year, and we know what we can expect from all of the historic data that we have for the Magic Kingdom for its opening year, right. what we're going to see for an attendance level. And then they do the hard math that opening day, we're going to have nine World Showcase pavilions ready. We're going to have five future world pavilions open. And they can literally sit there and work the math based on our, you know, the you know, what we need from the kingdom, what we're going to have. And at that time they determine, okay. Especially at peak periods during the day. And yeah. what's interesting is that the, the two peak dining periods, Epcot, they envisioned one was going to be from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. And the next one was going to be from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. But for those peak periods, they needed to be able to serve 6,000 people per hour. Okay, so between 10 and 2. So 10 to 11, 11 to 12, 12 to 1, 1 to 2, 4. So that's 24,000 people for lunch. Yeah. And then yeah. five to eight is 18,000 for dinner. Absolutely. Okay. So tw 10 to 10 to 11, 11 to 12, 12. So that's 24,000. I mean, I mean, average attendance in Epcot now is 34,000. So, mm -hmm. okay. Fair enough. Yeah. All right. I can see the numbers. Go ahead. But not everybody is going to want the exact same dining experience. Some people are oh, going God, to want Oh, God, no, it. yeah. Especially for, yeah, especially for Epcot, right? Okay. That's exactly. Some people are going to want a leisurely table dining experience. Mm -hmm. In fact, to watch over the years how buffeterias have gone away at Disney. That was Le Cellier initially. You, you went in there and you, you pushed I never actually got to see it as a buffeteria. It, it, uh, it left the year that I... Oh, uh, the okay. year before. I know. Bob Bob went and we he he remembers it fondly. Yeah, well that's exactly. Yeah, again, Bob and I, old guys. We 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 see these <laughs> things. Remember when the dinosaurs were real? Oh, they were lovely. And what's the uh, what's the what's the cafeteria style place at the Dolphin that still exists? It used to be Tubby's. Tubby's. Uh, see, that's the thing. I'm dating myself. I went to, I went for the name Tubby's. So, uh, okay. So I'm, I'm sure one of our lovely listeners will, will give yeah. us the, the, the name it's had for a decade. And it used now. to be like 24 hours too, remember? Yeah, it did. It did. So, and then of course, in addition to table service, buffeteria, we have counter service. Right. These days, counter service goes by two names. Quick service. Well, yeah. a quick service and fast casual. Fast casual. Yeah, so fast casual, I think, was the thing that was invented. That the term, the first time Disney used it, as I understand mm -hmm. it, was mm -hmm. with the redo of Sunshine Seasons Food Fair to Sunshine Seasons back, like, and I'm thinking around the year 2000, 2005. It was 2005. So I don't know if you're going to get this this story, but it's when they they sort of like upped the quality of the food. That's there exactly. As an That's experiment. exactly. Okay. Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Okay. I think I've told this story on the show, but I had, I was there the day it opened with the food critic from the Washington Post. Oh, we'll okay. We'll get to that. It was All right. one, of the, one of the most memorable days I've ever had in a Disney theme park. Oh, okay. All right. Well, let, let, let's get to that story quick. Then. All right. So you got to deliver these 6,000 people per hour because you can average 34,000 guests in the park. And a lot of the weight here, so to speak, has to be carried by counter service. And then, you know, you have to also take into consideration 
what the sponsor of a particular pavilion is going to want in regard to food service within their building. If we go back to the land, in fact, we, we've talked as part of the Bandcamp exclusive shows about the various ideas that were considered for the land. But do you remember when we talked about the landkeeper and they had the seven different biodomes yeah, yeah. and that sort of thing? Mm-hmm. The emphasis on that version of the land pavilion was mostly an ecology. And at that time, Georgia Pacific, the lumber company, was supposed right. to become the sponsor of the land pavilion. And, and for some reason, they fell out. By the way, 2005, Disney and Georgia Pacific announced a 10-year alliance. They're the ones who provided all the paper goods for the parks for the next 10 years. Right. Didn't they sponsor, like, Lights Motor Action, sponsored by Brawny Paper Towels? Was that them? There you go. Yes, yes. Okay, so if you're in marketing and you think branding doesn't work, the fact that I remembered that specific thing. Yeah. <laughs> okay. whoever, whoever signed that deal at uh, Georgia Pacific, you got your money's worth. Somehow in 1978 or that Georgia Pacific falls out, Kraft Foods comes in. Makes way more sense. Okay. Yeah. But at the same time, it means you suddenly have to change your your, your theme of the land from ecology right. to agriculture. The problem is the name of the company is Kraft Foods with an S, not Kraft Food. And right. so it's suddenly, okay, there have to be a wide variety of foods available right. inside Kraft of this. Kraft makes a lot of stuff. You got you to gotta offer a lot of stuff. Okay. You still have the 6,000 people an hour at peak times thing you have to deal with. Yeah. So we talked on the previous show about how Disney pays attention, especially in the 70s, about things that were going on outside the parks. Last show we talked about, for example, how the good and plenty a tourist restaurant out in Pennsylvania, Dutch country, really caught Disney's attention. But that wasn't the only place Disney was paying attention to in the mid-70s. And in fact, one of the other places that really caught Disney's eyes was the food court at the Paramus Park Shopping Mall in Paramus, New Jersey. Opened March of 74 and the first truly successful food court in a shopping mall in the United States. Really? It was in Paramus? Paramus, New Jersey. In fact, it, it actually had a name. It was called Picnic in the Park. And again, because the food court is located in the Paramus Park Mall. Get it? Okay. Anybody who went to a mall in the 70s, especially in New Jersey, you know, it's like it had a Chick-fil-A, it had a Magic Pan Crepery, a Nathan's Hot Dogs, a Farrell's, and also had a couple of lesser known franchises like the Taco Pit. I would totally eat at Taco Pit, I'm telling you right now. I'm not <laughs> right. sure what the food's like. I would try it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, but it's located upstairs. It's got all sorts of natural light, lots of tables and this sort of thing. And it's so you know, was this was this sort of like the the er food court? This was the first this was the one that and this mind was it. You, this is the prototype, the canonical yeah, food court. The one that created it spawned hundreds of these in remember when malls were open, Len? Wasn't that a I remember <laughs> malls. But the, the thing I was thinking about was the mall scene in Valley Girl, the Nicolas Cage. Yes. Uh, magnum okay. opus. Mm-hmm. So by that time, that was what, 82, 83? Oh, yeah. yeah. So the food court concept was well established in popular culture by then, but it was only like eight, 10 years old at the time? Yeah. I mean, the, this is the one that started it all. I mean- 1983. Okay. So yeah. So, okay. So within within a decade, the, mm-hmm. the this concept had taken over in malls everywhere. That's super interesting. Okay. Okay, so Disney checks out the food court in Paramus, New Jersey, knows again that they have executives at Kraft Food that want 
a wide variety of their products served at Epcot. So they're getting their money's worth for their 10-year-long sponsorship deal. Okay. So this is the pitch they made. This feature will, will be a celebration of what Kraft does best, which is serve up everything about a mouthwatering variety of foods. Okay. So since your pavilion is the biggest of all in Future World, and by the way, that is true, Land Pavilion was roughly six acres in size. To put that in perspective, the original version of Fantasyland at the, the Magic Kingdom, before all of the new Fantasyland stuff opened up in 2012 and 2014, was six acres in size. So that gives you wow. some idea of the footprint. Anyway, since your privilege is the biggest of all in Future World, we have room to do lots of interesting things. So upstairs, we're going to build your prestigious eatery, The Good Turn. Name gives away what we're going to do with the gimmick here. The restaurant is going to revolve. And as people are eating food that prepared with fresh stuff that's grown downstairs in the greenhouses, but seasoned with craft seasoning, they can peer down into the Listen to the Land ride and actually preview scenes from this attraction. Now, Downstairs, where they had over 130,000 square feet of space, we're going to build the farmer's market. It will be rustic. It will be charming. It will have a mechanical rooster that will act as this pavilion's cuckoo clock. It, you know, come out of his little barn every 15 minutes, flap his wings and crow. But we'll also have eight different counters that you can go up to and order food with cute little names like Picnic Fair and the Potato Store and the Beverage Store and the Bakery. They'll be able to buy freshly prepared food that's made with ingredients and seasoned from stuff from craft food. And we will prominently advertise the fact that all of this stuff comes from craft and folks at, at craft food love this yeah. especially the corporate lounge it was going to be hit up on the third floor where they could we can't visually get an adult beverage over 130,000 square feet sounds like a lot of space yeah but you're building eight separate counters and all of these tiny little kitchens have to prepare right you need you need kitchens for each of them yeah yeah and each of them needs specialized equipment. You know, the, right. For example, the, the potato place has to have all of these special places to not only cook the potatoes, but keep them warm after they've been cooked. Right. And there's a bread place that's going to do, you know, gargantuan sandwiches. So it needs a bakery. Yeah. Okay. All right. And did I mention the giant white fountain that the Imaginers decided to place on the ground level? So as people looked over down, you know, they could look up and see the wonderful balloons and then they could look down and see the wonderful fountain. But the, the giant fountain takes up all sorts of space that could be used for tables, for tables. and seats. Yeah. yeah. Also, the other thing, frankly, is the Imagineers adhered too closely to the picnic in the park idea from Paramus in that you want to have a lunch where you have uh, you go to the bakery and get a hand sandwich. Uh, you want to get a Coke. So, you know, you, you're going to have to go to the beverage place and you want uh, you want an ice cream sundae. You know, and, and but that means you have to go to the ice cream shop as well. Yeah. Each of these had their own register. So I vaguely to, remember this. Yeah. But that didn't last long for, for reasons you're about to explain. <laughs> they were just in this situation where it's like, you know, it meant if you wanted a multi-part meal uh you know you were it's juggling you have a multi multi-transactions yeah, 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 yeah they're yeah, under yeah. huge pressure to help the rest of the park you know meet that you know at peak time serving six thousand people an hour yeah. and i mean it, it's a problem for families right because let's say somebody wants tuna and someone wants a sandwich now you're waiting in two lines you've and, absolutely nailed it yeah, and yeah. in epcot on opening day you had places like stargate and sunrise terrace and the odyssey yeah. because they had one menu and they had six cash registers 
they could get 1,400 people through an hour. Uh, and, yeah. and Liberty Inn, same thing. It had a limited menu, but it had five cash registers. And, and Len, the difference in the number of people they could serve per hour. A couple hundred people. Yeah, 250 people, actually. Yeah, that I mean, that's so to this day, even even now uh, mm-hmm. that it's the uh, the Regal Eagle, the, yep. you can still see the vestiges of the old setup. Like mm-hmm. every time I walk in and I look at them like, oh, this this layout is is from the late 1970s. Like this, there's there's only so much that they can they can do to uh, to change that. Yeah. One of the things that's always hampered addressing the Liberty Inn problem was the fact that back of house. It's exactly it's, it. It's, 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 there's stuff that's just not going to change. They can't. They can't do much with it, right? The thing that handcuffs them, so to speak, is back of house is where the Disney cast member snack bar is located. Yeah. It's too much to move. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's like, look, we got to feed the cast. So yeah. with the eight counters, with each with their own cast register, they struggled to just feed a thousand people an hour. And finally, when Kraft decided in 1993, it's like, all right, you know, this has been nice. We're going to do something else now. And Disney brings in Nestle's to serve as the sponsor of the land. They're like, oh, good. We can finally fix all of these problems. And Nestle's like, well, we would really like it if this were back reopen in two weeks. Oof. <laughs> it's like, what? This is not HGTV. We cannot, do, we cannot do that this fast. Yeah. So inside of two weeks, they could change the signage. They could do a paint job. So that's when Farmer's Market went down and came back up as the first iteration of this thing. It came back as the Sunshine Seasons Food Fair. Food Fair. Yeah. yeah. But you mentioned 2005. Uh, and of course, that's when the Land Pavilion gets expanded on. That's when we get, you know, the soaring clone from DCA. Yep. And it was during that period where it's like, okay, we are finally, finally, finally going to address the problems that the this, flow, the yeah, the workflow. That's when they go from the eight different stations to I think today there are five. Five or six, yeah, depending on whether you cut the dessert thing as as the sixth. There we go. The registers now are all centrally located. You right. go and get your food and you have to come back and pay, but it's not a question of I need to do, you know, three different transactions. It, 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 you can all go to one place once you've gotten your food. So it helps. Yeah. You can send, if you've got, you know, a couple of adults or a, mm-hmm. an adult in teens, mm-hmm. you can send in multiple lines at once. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can get beverages from any one of a number of locations. Mm-hmm. You can all pick up desserts separately without having to stand in line. Mm-hmm. Simple things like just drinks or coffee coffee or bottles of water you could pick up with uh, there's grab and go for that so yeah. it really it really has helped the, uh, the oh flood. no no absolutely and and let's not forget that the, the really big thing the fountain went away the fountain went away exactly which was which opened up a ton of seating in the middle of it so let me tell you the story of when i was so i was there mm-hmm. opening day yep. of the land pavilion for the soren uh media invite back when i could get into media events and i'm there with um so the, disney brings us in to do a a, to, a bus tour Mm-hmm. of future world and i'm sitting next to dave smith mm-hmm. on the bus ride and dave is just fabulous you know telling stories and everything oh, like sure, that. so yeah. i get off yeah. and disney gives us a tour of soren and the revamped land pavilion and mm-hmm. it's you know i think there's like i mean it's a bus so there's what like 50 people mm-hmm. on this tour is relatively small and disney's actually letting us ride soren over and over again and the imagineers are telling us to try different seats to see the different vantage mm-hmm. points you know, and how the how it moves. And it was fantastic, right? So we, mm-hmm. we get done and it's about two o'clock and mm-hmm. 
the Disney PR people say, okay, you know, the park is closed because we're getting ready for the media event that's going to start tonight at like 730. Mm-hmm. And, you know, your bus is, you know, waiting at the front of the park, you know, go ahead and exit and we'll drive you back to where you're going. And uh, I happened to be standing, uh, I was riding Soren with one of the food reviewers for the Washington Post. Mm-hmm. And she said, do we have to leave? And in a moment that I'm sure the PR person from Disney will <laughs> always regret, he said, no, if you want to stay, you can stay. Mm-hmm. So we decided to stay. And so we, you know, we, we rode Soren a little bit more. But then we walked out and realized that every, that uh, for Sunshine Seasons, mm-hmm. every chef was getting ready to, pre- pre- to prepare for the media event at seven o'clock. So they were all furiously cooking up mm-hmm. all the appetizers and the entrees and the desserts. And I mean, it's, every, every executive Disney chef had was there. I mean, just mm-hmm. it, a, a, an amazing amount of activity. So we're walking through, we just have to walk through, right? And there's, there's, there are no guests in the mm-hmm. park and there are, there are very few cast members. Like basically, if you're in the park, it's because you're working on something for the media event in a couple of hours. So we're walking through and we, we go through Sunshine Seasons and there are chefs there that are getting ready. Like I, I think at one time they did like, you know, grilled salmon was one of the stations. And another one was like, you know, Mongolian beef stew. So we're going through and I mean, the executive chefs know who this person is from the Washington Post, right? Because mm-hmm. they're, the, they're the food reviewer for the Washington Post. Of course you know who this person is, right? Mm-hmm. So we're going through and, and as soon as one of the executive chefs realizes who it is, Everyone, everyone is like, please come try my food. And I'm just there. Like I'm, I'm some schmo, right? But I'm just, I can basically be right. So we walk over and we're tasting the, the smoked salmon, which was on a plank at the time, right? And it was, Mm. it was fabulous, right? Mm. So we get to the Mongolian food thing and it's the Mongolian soup, right? So it's a, it's like a beef broth and Jim, they're cooking it in. The, the only word I can describe is it's a cauldron. Yes. Right. It is a yes. cauldron right. of soup because they're doing it, you know, for it's a huge media event, right? Mm-hmm. So the chef says, you know, please, please come taste my, my Mongolian beef stew. And he's describing like, here are the spices, here's what's inspired me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and you, you can see like there's, it's, there's the chef, but then there's like the whole group of sous chef people around mm-hmm. it who are, you know, who are cooking it and, you know, chopping vegetables and getting the beef right. It's just, there's just a lot of activity, right? So the food person from the Washington Review takes this like small bowl of soup, mm-hmm. takes a sip, thinks about it and says, it's way too salty. And the chef looks at her mm-hmm. is like, is like, Oh God, turns around and says, dump it. <gasps> and they take the entire cauldron and dump the soup and start over. And I looked at like, like the, <laughs> That is the the biggest boss move I've ever seen. Like like the the fact that you could literally say three words and cause someone to throw out an entire thing. Yeah, it was amazing. But we Holy. tried it. We tried it later on that night, and it was yeah. it was fabulous. Holy! What a great story! Holy! Amazing! Cow. Um, and ah. the chef was like, "All right, you know, if that's if you know, that that's your, and dumped an entire cauldron into one of those big industrial sinks." And I was like, "What the hell did I just see?" Yeah, but we went through and we tasted like here's the focaccia for the giant sandwiches that are Mm -hmm. the size of shoeboxes and every every small appetizer and every pastry you could and they were like take as many as you want we're just you know we're trying these to make sure that they're good and she had I mean she had you know constructive criticism for a couple of things and a couple of things Mm -hmm. were great but Mm -hmm. yeah it was amazing wow 
later I learned that she had she had met Chef Morimoto mm-hmm. way before he became famous. He was mm-hmm. uh, he was catering a party in D.C. Mm-hmm. and she went back to you know to sort of like see who was catering and everything, mm-hmm. and he was short staffed, so mm-hmm. he asked her to help prepare the food. Because she knew something about food, so 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 she's that's how she met Chef Morimoto was at a dinner party in Washington D.C. where she gets she gets roped into preparing sushi. Yeah, <laughs> that's killer. That's killer. Awesome. Yeah. Anyway, all right. So that's my that's my sunshine season story. Go ahead. Jeez, hard to top that. But if you think about it, there is such a wonderful parallel between the fact that because of what happened time wise, that if nine eleven hadn't happened. And, you know, Pop Century had followed its original plan. You'd have had a a food court very similar to, you know, across the way, you know, across the generation uh, gap bridge over Classic Hall. Whereas because that project got stalled in in late 2001 and then didn't really pick up again till 2010, 2011. And it's only because in the interim, Disney redid the food court, taking the old structure of the farmer's market and that two-week-long coat of paint and a kiss and a promise for the changeover from Nestle's to Kraft to, you know, in 2005, okay, we're take, stripping this down to the bones and bringing it back up as something that, that reflects what people want from a modern quick-for-service, fast-casual. And to watch how the lessons learned there then got applied to, okay, forget about the legendary years, we're going to turn this into a brand new, mostly family suites hotel. And, you know, that's how we get landscape of flavors. So, Well, the thing, the thing that, uh, that I find so Surprising about it too, and I didn't realize it till you just said it. Now is mm. they're actually using food courts to differentiate the different tiers of value resorts. Because if you think about the quality of the mm. the food courts, it's definitely art of animation, pop, mm. and then the the three all stars. Mm-hmm. Right? It's not only the theming mm. and the suites and the pools and things like that, but like every aspect of the resort, including mm. the food court. You know, they've taken lessons from stuff that they've learned at Epcot and they've applied it to making those couple extra dollars per night per room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's fascinating. Okay. Well, one final story just to wrap things up here. It's, I want to say 1995, 1996. And I have reason to be backstage at Epcot. In fact, legally, legally, they've given me a drive on pass. I'm in my car and I am traveling. Wait, you got to drive backstage? I did. I did. You know, it, it was a different, <laughs> different time, Len. It was a different time. <laughs> All right. And so you've been back there. You you know the perimeter road yeah, that yeah. goes from the left side of Spaceship Earth, you know, over by where the strollers are. And in fact, if you follow the perimeter road, it goes all the way around all the way to, to the seas. There you go. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. I have business in the office that's right behind where the strollers. Is there a pawn shop or something there? Why are you? <laughs> <laughs> it's actually an, an, an administrative office and I'm not entirely sure why I was there, but I parked right. my car okay. and I go up a set of like three stairs. It's kind of a loading dock set up and I'm about to go through the door and I look over and you know how they have those sort of A-frame slippery one wet signs that, you know, the Disney. Plastic were- yellow signs. Yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. But they're leaning up against something. And I sat for a moment, walk over and push back the, you know, the, all of the slippery one wet sides. And there, and it's obviously been out in the elements for a couple of years at this point, it's the barn and the mechanical rooster from a farmer's market. You know, they, they, they just and you're pulled thinking, it. how big is the trunk of my car? 
that's the terrible part, Len. I was driving a Geo Metro. There was barely, you know, <laughs> enough room in the thing for a box of Kleenex, let alone a three foot tall. Last time I rented Daiwu Lanos, I swear to God. <laughs> I just keep thinking, I know there is a rental car shortage going on in the United States right now. And in fact, Good Morning America was talking about it the, just the other morning. But it's just yeah. sort of like, you know, I got to wonder, what? If it's still a there. A bungee cords, you strap it to the roof of your car. I mean. I'm thinking I need to, to rent a van, something yeah. size to, to make this disappear. But it was still there. I don't know if it's still there today. But anyway, well, well there you go. That's, a, that's an opportunity lost there. But that's a fantastic story. Well, uh, okay. uh, uh. God, but more to the point, I just, oh, that an entire cauldron of Mongolian <laughs> soup. Oh, gone. In a minute. And I looked up like, what are you? It was, yeah, it was just. An amazing experience, and just a yeah. And then I became friends with the uh, with the uh, with the Washington Post person. So it was great. Killer, killer, killer. Yeah, awesome. No. All right, folks, that's going to do it for the Disney Dish show today. Please head on over to DisneyDish.BandCamp.com, where you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes, including the Joseph Mankiewicz series on ideas Disney had for Epcot way back in the nineteen seventies. On next week's show, Jim talks about the history of Disney TV characters in the parks, from Zorro to the Mandalorian. Also, I'm pretty sure that From Zorro to the Mandalorian is the title of Cory Doctorow's next young adult novel set in a future dystopia where former Disney World face characters create Banksy-like inspirational artwork by day and underground sabotage of the data industrial complex by night. (laughs) I spent like half an hour on that yesterday. (laughs) You can find more of Jim at jimhillmedia.com and more of me, Len, at touringplans.com. We're produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, will be exhibiting his latest artwork entitled The Feeling You Get When Applebee's Gives You an Extra Mozzarella Stick Appetizer at the 2021 Pocatello Art Walk on Friday, May 7th on North Main Street in beautiful downtown Pocatello, Idaho. While Aaron's doing that, please go on to iTunes and Radar Show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We will see you on the next show.